And our second reading is actually from the Hebrew Scriptures, <clears throat> from 2 Kings. If you would like to follow along, it too is printed. I'm going to read the whole thing. And in preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, you are indeed the God of the harvest. We pray that you would show us the way. So as we listen to these very ancient words and entering into this ancient story, may we hear your words for us this day. And I would pray that my reflections might be one like a clear window with the blinds open, so that each of us can hear your way and your word for us this day. We make these prayers in the power of your many names. Amen. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him Yahweh had given victory to Aram, which was Damascus, now Syria. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. <clears throat> now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his king just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, this, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that he may cure, you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure the man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had told his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. May God speak to us through these ancient words, through this story. 
Now, I have never considered myself a psychic, and I still don't. But I had an experience a few weeks ago in France that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. We were into day three of the pilgrimage with our home, our initial home city based in the town of Rouen. And from there, we took a day trip to the town of Amiens to pray and explore and to introduce our pilgrims to the largest Gothic structure in France. The Amiens Cathedral encompasses 476 feet. And just to give you an idea of the immensity of this building, a football field is 360 feet. This building was constructed in 50 years, which in and of itself is pretty amazing, between 1220 and 1270. And today, this 13th century masterpiece is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. After all of us had had the opportunity to explore and to take in the cathedral and to pray, we had a prayer sheet there, no surprise, and um, to walk the labyrinth that people so led, there's a labyrinth in the floor of that cathedral, we were free for lunch until we were to meet in the plaza in front of the cathedral at 3 p.m. My fellow pilgrimage staff members and I had just finished our lunch ordering dessert and coffee, which one does in France, when an ambulance passed us driving up to the cathedral. And before thinking, or even talking it over with my colleagues, Susan, Tom, and John, a pre-verbal impulse in me had me jump up and run up to the front of the plaza of the cathedral. My fellow staff members were looking at me, wondering, what's he doing and where is he going? They didn't know, and neither did I. But I had to check to see if the ambulance had anything to do with one of our pilgrims, and it did. When I reached the top of the plaza in front of the hill of the cathedral, I saw that one of our pilgrims, Kathleen, was lying on the cobblestone with EMTs and nurses and the ambulance around her. I immediately started to go toward her, and then I thought, no, I need to get the person who was the most fluent in French. So I went down the hill to get Susan, and Susan and I ran back up. I was the first to get to Kathleen, lying on the cobblestone, bleeding. She looked up to me and said, where did you come from? You're like the face of an angel. Later, we discovered that the man who'd been begging at the door of the cathedral, a man that I had actually given some euros to just about an hour before, was the one that saw Kathleen stumble and fall and hit her head, and then went into the cathedral shop and had them call 911 or whatever the equivalent is in France. Never as we expect, this was the byline for me that day. Never as we expect a beggar being the angel of mercy. Never as we expect my precognitive impulse to react without thinking. Never as we expect to be so warmly received by French socialized medicine that acted so quickly, so cheaply, and so effectively. After a half hour ride to the airport, an MRI, four x-rays, three hours in emergency, and two stitches later, all for the price of 65 euros, which is about $75. Kathleen was fine, embarrassed, but fine. And we made our way back to Rouen. 
I've been pondering this experience in my response ever since. Our text this morning remind me that at some point in our lives, as Mark Nepo puts it, we come to the end of a path and no longer know our way forward. Hard as this is, this is where the inner journey begins, when all that we've carried has served its purpose, and we now must burn our expectations to illumine the way and the path ahead. It's here when we acknowledge that things that we're carrying might not work, that we begin to see our way forward, and this is when our soul shows us what it is we are to do if we but pay attention. Know what you carry with you. For me, the invitation here is to be aware of what expectations I carry, possibly expectations that you carry, that weigh me, that weigh us down from accepting the opportunities that God is offering us that usually come in ways that we don't expect. This was what was going on in Naaman. He carried so many expectations that limited him from receiving and hearing the hospitality and hearing that God was offering him simply by going and washing himself in a river. Now, a little bit about Naaman. He was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a powerful man, and he had a powerful disease, leprosy. Nothing in biblical times was more misunderstood and feared than leprosy, much like AIDS was 20 or so years ago here. I remember San Francisco in the early 90s. Naaman took himself pretty seriously. He had expectations of how power worked, his, his God, and his king. When things didn't unfold as he expected they would, he got stuck. I don't know if that happens to you, but that happens to me. When life events around me or people or institutions don't measure up to what I expect out of them, those expectations, I realize, weigh me down and limit me from seeing what is possible right in front of me. Does that happen to you? Life events for Naaman took turns that he would never have expected nor wanted. First, he received news about his disease, but he was told through an unnamed servant girl who waited on his wife, not someone with power or authority, that he should go to a foreign land, which he did. While there, he was told to seek out an unknown prophet, whom he did. This prophet, Elisha, didn't respect Naaman's position or power or prestige. It didn't impress him at all. And he simply sent word through a messenger that Naaman should go and wash seven times in the River Jordan and that he'd be clean. Now, this was not well received by Naaman. In fact, he considered the River Jordan to be pretty messy and impure. And actually, he said, 
Are not the Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Again, an expectation, an arrogant one at that, that limited him from receiving the hospitality and healing of God. At this point in the narrative, Naaman flew into a rage, and then, again, through the voice of another servant, someone else that Naaman wouldn't have expected to hear a voice from God from, basically said to him, don't be so silly. If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? So how much so the prophet simply tells you to go and wash seven times in a river and be clean? Finally, with all expectations put aside, Naaman listened. He went down, immersed himself seven times in the river Jordan, the river of Israel, According to the word from the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. And his world changed forever. He had a personal epiphany. His view of God became much, much bigger. And though we don't know, I would hope that his ego became a little smaller. So what expectations do you and I put on God that might limit how big we allow God to be in our lives? What I mean by this is, God is limitless, yes. But by the choices we make, we can limit how we participate with God's power to change our lives or not. Naaman had all these expectations on God that limited God, so there's no way that the healing of the presence of the Spirit could touch him because his parameters for how God might work were too small. Do you and I get caught here? It's like when we're praying for someone to have some miraculous healing in our life. Are we really praying with open hearts or do we have one particular answer in mind? And if that answer isn't reached, then we think God didn't hear us. It's not that God didn't hear us. It's that we were not open to the workings of the Spirit of God in our lives because our expectations were too myopic. That, to me, is the invitation of these texts this morning. This past week, with my spiritual director, I tried to unpack and make sense of what happened to me in Amiens. And she asked one question. She said, why is it so important for you to understand? And I said, my ego self-speaking, I'd like to be able to develop that, if possible, more fully. And she said, I think you just need to be grateful. <laughs> and she was right. That was a very helpful container in which to put this experience. Simply being grateful in the moment that I listened to the voice of the one who dwells within me. And you know, that's true for each of us. If we simply attend to the Spirit of God who dwells within us, we'll know, possibly pre-verbally or pre-cognitively, what action or act needs to happen. She said, you listen to your big self, which is that part in each of us 
where our souls align with the very presence and spirit of God and not your little self, your ego self. That limits you, limits us, and weighs us down. And if I had listened to my little self, my ego self, and had a conversation with John, Susan, and Tom, I probably would have stayed and had dessert in my coffee instead of listening to whatever it was that God put within me that motivated me to act. So what about you? When it comes to God, to faith, to believing and to listening to your own interior wisdom, do you do that or do you question it? Do you say, oh, God couldn't talk to me this way? And so in that moment, you limit what the Spirit could be doing in and through you. Do you travel lightly? Do you know what you carry? Do you have a trunk of expectations with God? Or do you just have a little knapsack? Or maybe a little handbag? Or maybe a little pocket purse? What do you carry in your understandings of the mystery that we call God? Is your view limited and myopic, or is it expansive and huge? Do you take God on God's terms or on your terms? Naaman wanted to take God on Naaman's terms. So the expectations were too small. And after repeated encounters, Naaman finally got it. He had to take God on God's terms. And he went down in impure waters and received new life. Honoring ourselves lightly is not taking ourselves too seriously. It's listening to our big self, that wisdom part within us, and not our small ego self. It's being able to hear the voice of God through unlikely sources, never as we expect a beggar at a door of a cathedral, a servant girl saying, go and wash, see this prophet, or listening to the inner voice saying, act, act Robin, act Jeff, act Heather. You know, when God steps in, miracles happen. I believe this is what happened to Naaman. I believe this is what happened to me and to the beggar at the door. And this is what happens to each of us when we simply open ourselves to the spirit, when we open ourselves to be beyond our expectations. I want to close with this poem that Carolyn Foster read this past Thursday at a Companions Course staff meeting. It's entitled, What We Choose, based on writings by Jan Richardson. What we choose changes us. What we love transforms us. How we create remakes us. Where we live reshapes us. So in all our choosing make us wise, in our, our loving make us bold, in all our creating give us courage, in all our living make us whole. May this be true for each of us as we pay attention to the spirit who lives and moves and has her being in, through, and around us. Amen.